some of the most interesting stories here on the Smart Passive Income podcast are the stories behind how certain software companies have come to be. We've had Clay Collins, who was introduced in episode 78. We've had Nathan Barry on the show to talk about how he bootstrapped ConvertKit. And now today we have an amazing story behind Jungle Scout. JungleScout.com, that is a analytical tool, an analytical tool, that's kind of hard to say, for people who are doing business on Amazon. It helps you do keyword research and understand competition and potential sales numbers for various products that are on there. And if you're doing any sort of business on Amazon, you'd probably want to know about, if you don't know already, Jungle Scout. And today I'm going to be interviewing and getting the origin story of this piece of software that has grown so big. And I just love the story here because of just Greg's approach. Greg Mercer is the man behind Jungle Scout. We're going to talk with him today. But first, let's get to the intro music. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, barbecuing in the backyards, one of his favorite things to do, Pat Flynn. Now, as you know, I've been in the podcasting space for quite a long time now, and I've had a lot of success with the multiple shows and, and episodes and even the courses I've created. Part of my success is due to how particular I've been in the tools that I use, and one of my favorite tools is Buzzsprout. For those of you who are not familiar with Buzzsprout, you need to be, because if you have a podcast or you're looking to start one, Buzzsprout is by far the easiest way to start podcasting, and they're making it even easier. This is a podcast host, and it allows you to get listed on all the top directories, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. I use it myself. They've provided advanced stats for us now so that you can track your podcast downloads and understand exactly what things are happening with your show, which is really key, right? Just there's not a lot of data that uh, a lot of tools give us access to, and Buzzsprout is some of the best. They'll even help you build a website for your podcast so your audience can easily find you online and listen to all the episodes right from your site too, even if you don't have a website. On the technical side, this is one of the coolest things I've seen in a while. Through the host, Buzzsprout, you can automatically optimize your audio through their newest feature, Magic Mastering. So Magic Mastering is like an Instagram filter, but for your audio. And it takes the audio you have and just automatically masters it to match the Apple Podcast authoring best practices. It's totally awesome. Just, I love them because not only is it just a super easy tool to use, but I know the team there. They are the sponsor of this episode. And I wanted to make sure you got to know who they are because they're they're a great tool. And if you're just starting out with Buzzsprout, you can actually get a special deal. Their plans start at $12 a month. Buzzsprout is a wonderful partner of mine and, you know, you can actually get 33% more time on your plan, whichever plan you choose, just through this link alone. And that's smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. And that's a huge deal, 33% extra time on your plan just by going through that link. You can claim that again by going to smartpassiveincome.com slash buzzsprout. Check them out, they're awesome. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in session 345 of the Smart Passive Income podcast. My name is Pat Flynn, here to help you make more money, save more time, and help more people too. And today we got Greg Mercer from junglescout.com on with us today. He built an amazing piece of software that's done very well. He's grown his company quite big. And you know, software isn't for everybody, but we've heard stories here on the podcast before of people who were bloggers, solopreneurs. Um, I've even gotten into a software a little bit and exploring that realm even more in the near future. But this is partly why I wanted Greg on, so I can be a little selfish and ask some questions that may help myself and you as you think about how you can turn your little pains into solutions 
that can then be distributed through software and profitable, of course. So let's just dive right in. Here's Greg Mercer from junglescout.com. Yo, what's up, Greg? Thanks for joining me here on the SPI podcast. Pat, thank you very much for having me on. I'm excited to chat with you. I'm super stoked to chat with you. You know, your name has come up a lot, especially when I go to conferences and everybody asks me like, Pat, have you interviewed Greg yet? And I'm like, I'm going to get to it, and we scheduled this, and then I had to reschedule, so I apologize about that. Thanks for being flexible. But I'm excited to chat with you today just kind of about everything you've built, because you've built some amazing things, including Jungle Scout, which is where a lot of people know you from. But I'd love to take everybody back to, I know that you started kind of entrepreneurship even at a very young age when you were a kid. Can you tell us about kind of like how you were growing up and how that's kind of led to what you've been involved with today? Yeah, absolutely. So my whole life, I've had like this strong entrepreneurial spirit. Um, even when I was a kid, you know, my parents tell stories of me like painting acorns and selling them. And when I was 14 or 15 years old, I built like this key for, do you remember GoPeds? They're like motorized scooters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I built like this key that you could uh, add on to your moped so that you could kind of like lock it up or people couldn't start the engine if you like left it out. So I was selling those, you know, I was like 14 or 15 years old. I was... <laughs> My marketing plan was I went to GoPed's website. This was pretty much like pre-email days or not very many people were using it. So like people's emails weren't listed on GoPed's website, but they had their fax numbers. So I was like 14 years old sitting in my parents' basement, sending one fax after another to all these different people advertising that I was like bulk selling these keys. Um, it's like that was one of my early business ventures. So yeah, kind of like my whole life, just this entrepreneurial spirit. I went to school to be a civil engineer. I got a job in the corporate world and just hated it. And that was really when my uh, more current entrepreneurial endeavors started. I was just looking for a way out of that. And for me, my original way out of that was by selling physical products on Amazon. So physical products on Amazon. Now, taking taking back a little bit. So you were a civil engineer, just kind of like how I was an architect. But when I was in architecture, I loved it. I didn't know I didn't want to go in. What about the nine to five did you not really like about? I, you know, I think it was, had to do with like my entrepreneurial spirit. I didn't like that. I was working really hard for someone else. Uh, it turned out that civil engineering was a lot of just like writing reports. And I don't, I don't actually don't even like writing. So I liked the like math and data and analytical side of it, but I didn't like creating the reports. You know, at the end of the day, I, I was a consultant and the, Clients we had, you know, were very demanding. They would send you something on Friday and like, hey, I need this by Monday morning. It's like, crap, what the heck? Mm -hmm. So I didn't really like that aspect of it. But probably the the biggest thing for me was really I just wanted to build something for myself. And I was just looking for kind of like the financial and time freedom associated with being an entrepreneur. Right. And then so you started selling products on Amazon. Were these products that you created yourself or how did like how was that structured? So I originally was sourcing products from wholesalers, mm -hmm. mostly in the um, kind of like health and household type category. Okay. And then shortly thereafter, I learned about importing goods from China. And that was kind of like really the game changer for me. So, you know, by going factory direct and creating your own brands and private labeling these products, you can get the goods much cheaper. I didn't have to worry about setting up accounts with these wholesalers, which proved to be a little bit difficult to do, or at least difficult to get good enough pricing to be competitive on Amazon. And really the way Amazon's structured, there's just huge advantages of being the brand owner because you get additional types of marketing options for you. You don't have to kind of like share or compete for the buy box with other people on there. Mm -hmm. So like Amazon's just the way that the marketplace is structured, it's much different from eBay and it really gives advantages to brand owners. 
when you were a civil engineer and you discovered this world of Amazon and products and stuff, did you quit your job and then kind of go full in or did you kind of slowly step into that space? Good question. So I slowly stepped into it. I, I it would work all day. You know, I'd get home five, six o'clock. I would uh, kind of like eat dinner with, I guess you're just my girlfriend at the time, but now wife. And then every single night, you know, people oftentimes like are like, oh, it's so easy for you, Pat, or it's so easy for you, Greg, or whatever else. But every night after eating dinner, I would I would like drink a big cup of coffee. I would start working on my side hustles at like seven o'clock. And I remember I would work like till one or two a.m. pretty much every single night and then get up at like six a.m. to go um, to the office again. I did that for about a year. And then after doing that, I was making uh, more money from kind of like my side hustles than what I was at the, my job. And that's when I was like, OK, it's time to quit now. It's very similar to my story. So when I was told I was going to get let go, I wasn't let go right away from my architecture job. I, I, I was hustling to get my website up and, and all the things for the lead exam. And I was really pulling that it's very similar, you know, getting home from work, eating, and then just the grind with the website till 2 a.m. sometimes and then just over and over and over again every single day. So I'm glad you shared that because a lot of times we don't hear those parts of the story because we hear about Greg and Jungle Scout and how successful it is. But Speaking of Jungle Scout, this is a software tool that you developed. I'm curious to know what gave you the idea for it. Obviously, it does relate to Amazon for those who know what it is. But basically, what is Jungle Scout and what was the origin story of that? So Jungle Scout is a software tool to identify profitable opportunities or good opportunities on Amazon for sellers. So if you're interested in starting to sell on Amazon or you're already selling on Amazon, just looking to launch more products, Jungle Scout helps you identify which products are going to be profitable for you or a good opportunity for you to go into. So we use a number of different data points. We have kind of like drive data. We've just built this system that you can search and filter through different products to find out, you know, like what's in high demand with low competition on Amazon. And when you created this, like, how, like, were you didn't even do software development, I'm assuming, or did you? And how did you even go about starting this? No, I actually, I don't think I've told you this, Pat. But do you know actually how I found out about or why I wanted to create software? I don't, I didn't tell you this, did no, I? No, I have no idea. So I listened to your podcast. This was probably five or six, maybe even seven years ago now. I think the guy's name was uh, Dane Maxwell or yeah. Max or. Episode 46. Wow, you have a good memory. So that was quite a while ago. And I remember listening to that episode and being – that was when I was just selling physical products on Amazon and thinking like, wow, this guy makes the whole software thing sound way easier. Um, Like you don't have to deal with inventory and like, man, this just seems like a piece of cake. And that was what actually – I think that's what originally sparked my interest into creating a software tool. So cool. Thank you for telling that, me that. I didn't. I had no idea. But that is cool. So like that was the um, kind of like the origin of what's now like almost a hundred person company and like a pretty large operation, right? It's pretty wild that you and Dane were the one that kind of sparked that idea. But so I was, you know, I was selling physical products on Amazon, and the hardest part for me about scaling up my business was just what products to launch. So I would launch some products, and they'd be like a home run, and they make tons of money. And then I'd launch other products, and they were a failure. So I was like, crap, like I have to kind of like crack the code of what makes a successful product versus a poor product on Amazon. And back then, this was like 2012, 2013. Mm -hmm. This was pre-Jungle Scout and before like a lot of the modern tools that we have now. So people were just kind of like throwing, you know, throwing something at the wall and seeing what stuck. 
there was no type of like data or analytics to help people guide these decisions. You know, like if you were launching like a niche site back then, you could do keyword research to see what people were searching for. On Amazon, you didn't have any way to know what was um, often searched for or what was being purchased or what demand was like on Amazon. And that was what was really hard for me because I was, you know, I was an engineer by background, like a data driven type person. And I don't like making just like these gut decisions of what I think might sell well. So I figured out a way to estimate how well every product on Amazon was selling, like how many units per month it was selling. Mm -hmm. And that's what originally led to my success on Amazon because I was able to tell what was in high demand, what customers were searching for and buying. And those are the products that end up selling. So I was finding these opportunities. I was like, holy smokes, this, you know, there's only one or two sellers selling this and they're selling like 10,000 units a month and no one else is selling this product. And then those were the types of opportunities that I then went into. So I originally, so I figured that out. I was originally just doing this in Excel sheet and I was like, man, this seems like a great opportunity to build a software product to replace all of the grunt work required to fill in these Excel sheets. And long story short, I then hired a developer to do it. We turned it into what was originally a very crappy, junky piece of software, <laughs> um, but it got the job done. And that was kind of like the MVP. And I proved the idea by getting a few people to purchase it. And yeah, that's how it all started. That's amazing. There's a lot of stories that are similar in terms of somebody who was just doing the work on something and it's very manual and then created a software product to help make things a little bit easier, making things convenient for that person, but also everybody else who can get involved with that. Uh, I have a little bit of experience with that with a smart podcast player, but I think of even bigger players such as Clay Collins, who uh, ran a marketing show and then created lead pages, Nathan Barry, who had ran his uh, design and UI UX centered blog and now is the founder of ConvertKit because there was a problem in the email space. And, you know, I'm obviously a big fan of ConvertKit now. So this is this is really cool. But, you know, we always hear about these success stories of people who've done who've gone down that route. But I know that there are plenty more who have done the same thing and have thought of software ideas. What are some of the things that you think you've done or helped to set you up for success with Jungle Scout versus a lot of the others out there who may be not so successful stories? Like, why did Jungle Scout succeed like it did? Yeah, it's a great question. It's something I think about a lot, like trying to crack the code, right? So I, I think it's a combination of a number of reasons. One, the timing, I got really lucky on the timing. I mean, there's no like arguing that, you know, when Jungle Scout was started, this was right at the beginning of Amazon becoming an excellent opportunity for entrepreneurs and for small businesses. And kind of like if you look at like the Amazon stock chart, you know, it's like Jungle Scout started right when it really started to take off. So part of that was purely just luck with my timing and just kind of like being in on it early and no one back then really knew that Amazon was going to be successful today is what it is. So that was part of it, but that doesn't help the listeners of the show. So let me give some more actionable uh, advice. One, I think another one of the tactics, and again, this was, um, I, I would love to say that I was like smart enough and like, I knew that I should have done it this way. Uh, I wasn't, it, that wasn't the case back then. But as I look back, one of the things that I think really helped us was I built a very simple tool to start. It was a Chrome extension. Chrome extensions uh, don't require a lot of development work. They're relatively easy to build and they don't require much for server costs and whatever else. And I was charging a, a, just a one-time fee. And so there's a few there's a few pieces of that that I think like helped led to our success. 
One, by building something very simple and getting it out there and starting to collect feedback on it, that's like the best thing you can do when it comes to software. I think a lot of people try to, you know, like hide in their basement for two years building this piece of software that they just know everyone's going to love. But then when they re- release it to the world, they realize, wait a second, this wasn't doesn't quite solve a lot of people's problems or, you know, it doesn't fix it much. Mm-hmm. So it's really helpful to just build whatever bare minimal thing you can release it to users. See if anyone will pay for it, you know, vote with their credit cards and then, um, then iterate on it from there. So that really helped out that we could build, you know, we built the initial MVP in like one month. So it didn't require a lot of cash for me and we could quickly start collecting feedback from users. The other advantage about building something that you charge a one-time fee and get the cash up front is the early years of software companies are usually very cash intensive. It's really expensive hiring good developers. Everything about it is just pretty expensive. And that's why VCs and all these investors exist for these software companies. We've never taken on any investments. And I think the reason for that is you know, if you're only charging like 20, 30, 40 bucks a month and that's just drawn out over a long period of time in the early days when you don't have very much many customers, that's not a lot of cash flow for the business. Mm-hmm. If you're charging like 200 bucks up front, you know, then you're collecting a lot more cash right off the start. So you have the cash to help reinvest in the business, hire developers, whatever else you need. So those are kind of like a few of the things that I think were, and again, I didn't have the, uh, I was, I can't say I was like smart enough back then to realize that, but looking back, I think those are a few of the things that's really helped us. The pricing model now is a monthly recurring payment. So we still have the Chrome extension that you can buy for a one-time fee. Mm-hmm. And then the SaaS application, the web application is a monthly recurring payment. And once you get bigger, that's great because, you know, it's a recurring revenue, which is fantastic. But the problem with it is just it, since it's a smaller amount of money, it's just not quite enough cash to help run these businesses in their early days. Got it. And speaking of early days, you had mentioned that you had hired a developer because you're not a developer yourself. How did you find that person? How did you vet them? How did you know that they were the right one for the for the job? Yeah, so prior to Jungle Scout, I tried to build two other just like little tools like this, and they were both a huge failure. And it's not in the fact that, you know, I didn't invest that much money in them. I think both of them were like less than $1,000. But what I tried to do those times, you know, I was hearing about these people hiring um, developers in these low, really low cost areas of the world. I was like, oh man, I'll just hire these developers for like $5 an hour and they'll just build this for me and it'll be fantastic. And, you know, if you had a really good technical understanding that might work for you, but for me, like without a technical background, I really needed someone, you know, like really smart that I could communicate with really easily and could turn my idea and my like non- technical understanding into the software tool. So for this one, I did end up hiring a a much higher paid developer, but actually just found them on Upwork. And some of my learnings from that were that if you want to build a software tool, you can't just like have this idea in your head and just like try to write it out on email. That's just not how like building software works. And that's not how most developers' minds work. So for this one, I actually like made nice wireframes and I put together kind of like lots of like documentation and where you get this number from and what happens when you click that and all this kind of, you know, all, this, all those types of things. So before they even began, they had like a really good understanding of what this is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to work, all those types of items. Yeah, I think that's really important. I've told the story before about how in 2010 I've tried to create WordPress plugins and I took the same approach, like let's just find somebody out there really quick who can do it and I'm just going to share an email like what I want to happen and it just 
created so much confusion and back and forth. And I would get upset because they weren't building what I wanted, but how would they know because I didn't give it to them exactly? I think wireframing, especially for developers, I mean, that's the language that they need to know exactly what to build. And whenever you leave any room for sort of customization on their end, it's, it's hardly ever going to be exactly what you want because that's not their role. So you have to totally. really get into the details of that. So thank you for for sharing that. Um, I'm curious, like, Jungle Scout, did you, like, in terms of the brand, it's it's a great brand, a great name, um, great logo. It's one that everybody shares now in the space and everybody uses the tool. Like, I'm curious to know how your thoughts uh, were when you started on the brand. Was it always called Jungle Scout? What made you determine that that was going to be the case? And um, then I'll follow up from there. Yeah, so it's always been called Jungle Scout. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't put too much thought or time into it at the uh, at the time, you know, I was like, okay, what goes with Amazon? All right, Amazon Jungle, that kind of makes sense. You're scouting for new products. Um, the domain name was available, and I was kind of like within an hour, I think I decided like on Jungle Scout. Cool. <laughs> so uh, it's always been called that. Uh, that was kind of like my thinking behind it. As far as kind of like building it up as a brand that people know, like, and trust, um, I'd be happy to share like kind of like the early days of marketing. Is, is that kind of the, the road you'd like to go down? Yeah, that's where I was going to go next. So thank you. Cool. So again, looking back, you know, I, at the time I didn't have much experience with online marketing. I knew a little bit about it. I built some WordPress sites. I had a basic understanding of some of the paid ad channels, just enough to be able to, you know, like waste some money and learn a little bit of stuff. So, so I built this piece of software. I, I, you know, I sold it to like a dozen people and that was like proof to me that other people will actually want this and are willing to pay for it. How did you get those dozen people? Yeah, good question. I, I created a video of the first MVP and actually when I created the video, like half the buttons didn't even work and it was really buggy, (laughs) but I kind of like knew what to press so that it looked like it all worked. Uh And... (laughs) And I, I was um, a pretty active member in a number of online communities, primarily Facebook groups. And these are places that for the past year or two, people probably recognized me. I was always in there like providing feedback and helping others. Cool. So this is an area that like I, I had built up like a level of credibility. But these are small groups. So I just posted the video that I created in there. I created just a landing page to collect emails. And I was like, hey, guys, I built this new tool for Amazon sellers. I would love to just collect some feedback from you guys. Like, what else would you like to see? What would you like to see me do differently? What do you wish it did? And by the way, like, if you're interested in learning more about it, just enter your email address here and I'll, uh, you know, I'll send out updates. Beautiful. So I posted that in like two or three different online communities. And I think something important to note here, like if you just go around spamming these communities, these posts are just going to get deleted, right? And like people aren't going to trust you. But since I'd built up like a level of credibility and I was known as just like a helpful resource in there, I think that's what kind of like made it okay by them. And from that, I only collected like 100 email addresses. But on launch day, I emailed those 100 people and I made like a dozen sales. So that's pretty good conversion rate, to be honest. (laughs) That is that is, that that is great. Okay, so you get these initial twelve people. Um, what happens next? How how do you market after that? Yeah, so I was like, okay, well, this isn't a very scalable marketing plan, right? I can't just eat, uh, you know, uh, fill Facebook groups full of videos all day. Mm-hmm. So that's when I think those were kind of like the toughest times for me as an entrepreneur because I was like, okay, how do I scale this up from a dozen customers into a hundred customers, or maybe one day a thousand customers? And 
I, I think what would happen then is I would like try AdWords and it wasn't really profitable. And then I tried Facebook ads and I was like, crap, I'm wasting a whole bunch of money there. That's not really working out. And then I, I forget, I, I tried a number of different things I maybe get like one sale, but it would cost me like a break even ROI on the revenue generated from it. And mm -hmm. at the time, I think I was like chasing a lot of shiny objects. You know, I, I tried Facebook ads for a week and that wasn't really working. So I was like reading more online about how, how other people were acquiring customers. And then I would try to jump over to the next shiny object. Cause when I re read about it, it seemed really easy. And looking back, that was kind of like a mistake. But one thing that did end up working is someone who bought it, let's, by now it's probably like 30, 40 customers, had a, an audience, they had a, a training program to teach people how to sell on Amazon, and they actually just asked me to come on, I didn't have an affiliate program at this point, they just asked me to come on a webinar and demonstrate how it worked and just uh, teach their audience how I go about doing my product research on Amazon. And just from that webinar, there was only, I forget, 100 or 200 people on there or something. And we had like a crazy high conversion rate, like 30, 40%. So a lot of people ended up buying this tool. Wow. So that's like when I was double like- the customers overnight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's when I was like, okay, like I need to try to get more of these. And in the early days, it's kind of hard. Uh, it became a little bit easier once I created an affiliate program, but it was kind of hard for me to get out in front of these audiences. You know, most people with larger audiences, they're not really willing, you know, at that point I was kind of like unproven, right? Like, is this guy just going to be like salesy and spammy or mm -hmm. is he actually going to provide valuable content to my audience? It was harder, but I just, you know, I was essentially like dialing for dollars, right? Just contacting people however I could, just like kind of promising I was going to try to provide as much value as I could. It wasn't going to be very salesy. I just, I was just trying to help people learn these newer ways of finding products on Amazon instead of just using kind of like their gut feelings. Awesome. That's so cool. Uh, thank you for taking us back. How many customers do you, do you have now? We have over 200,000 customers. 200,000. Yeah. That's pretty crazy, huh? That's incredible. Well, congratulations on, on the success. And you said you have a team of about a hundred people. I'm curious to know about the team and how it expanded since you had those initial 12 customers. And so at that point, I'm assuming it was just you and a developer. And who were some of your next hires? And is it just all developers or like who else is on your team helping run the show? Sure. So I think my, actually, so my first, besides the first developer, I then, oh, I, I kind of forgot about this part of the story, but after I quit being an engineer, my wife and I, we sold our house and all of our stuff and we became digital nomads. So actually for like the past three years up until January, I've just been nomading around the world. But uh, the reason that made me think of that is because really the first kind of like hire, first person to join was my wife. And my wife joined, she was answering customer support emails. I think I was just like, holy smokes, like I'm so overwhelmed, like people are actually buying this thing, but I still have this physical products business and I want to support these customers. And my wife at the time was just doing more of contract work. So I was like, hey, can you at least, or I think what I originally told her was like, hey, can you just answer tickets for like an hour a day for me? And that like pretty quickly turned into a full-time job. Yeah. <laughs> so she was, she was my first hire. So I guess my first person was um, customer support. After that, I hired two more developers and then it would have been like my fourth or fifth hire was a marketing lead to help me do marketing because I still wasn't I still wasn't that good at marketing. Right. I was like, OK, by now we've made a lot of iterations on this product. It's getting better, but we're still not doing as good of a job as we can, like kind of getting the word out there about it. For um, man, where was I going to go? I, I, I wanted to ask about 
some like things that you wish you knew before you got started in this? I mean, obviously things have gone well and likely you wouldn't want to change anything. But if you had to go through the process again, what's something that you would do differently compared to how it actually went? In As far as the early days go, I wish that you know, finding like marketing to uh, influencers and their audiences was a, a very successful for me. But if you're listening to this right now and you're in this space of not really finding a marketing channel yet that works for you or that you don't think works for you, I would recommend just choosing one and just focusing on it for like a half of a year. Because like it turns out like AdWords does work well for us. Facebook ads do work well for us. You know, we have all these different marketing channels now that work well for us. The problem back then is I was only trying to do it for like a week or two or three. And I was like, oh, this one doesn't work for us. Um, so like looking back, I wish that I kind of like chose one marketing channel and just went all in on it and just became like a mastery of that marketing channel as opposed to always trying to chase the next shiny object. And it sounds like you eventually did that when you discovered that, you know, utilizing the influencers out there in the world, um, was, was a great strategy for you. I'm curious to, to little, to go a little bit deeper on that because I think that's a fantastic strategy. You get a little bit of no like, and trust coming, not from you, but from the person who's endorsing you and your product. It's hard to do that at the start, though, when nobody nobody knows who you are, and it's kind of obvious that you are going to be pitching a product. Do you have any tips or strategies for how one might be able to do that in a way that's kind of legit and, and authentic, but also, you know, profitable? So, I think they need to have the mindset of providing value first, and I was very much doing that. Um, I, I always have, but. You know, there's a number of kind of, we'll call them more shady type people who do have audiences or are willing to kind of just spam them with all different types of stuff. I think those people are kind of going away nowadays, but you know, a few years ago, uh, yeah, that wasn't really the case. But anyone that actually has a good audience that trusts them isn't willing to just have you on to kind of just like sell your product really hard, you know, like to the audience, right? So, you have to figure out a way to make 99% of the the presentation or whatever you're doing with them like very actionable and educational information and then you know like the last like 1% is just like oh hey like if you're interested in checking out more like go to junglescout.com or whatever else like you just have to go into that go into it with that mindset mm-hmm. of having very um, actionable and informative information to share and not go into it with the sales mindset i think that would be the biggest tip i have for people to expand on that, how do you know that what it is that you're providing is of value to them? Do you do any research beforehand on that audience and kind of what they might need and um, like how much of a, of a rapport do you have with that person before getting to that point where you then ask them or do you ask them right away? Yeah, so I guess a couple questions in there, you know, as far as like having a subject or a topic that you think is uh, actionable for that person, you could always, of course, ask them, but it's probably best to try to like present some uh, topics to them that you're kind of a, a thought leader in or like very or have a just or just have like a great understanding of, you know, for me, that's kind of like Amazon and software and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up a great point there about building rapport with the person first. And yes, especially larger kind of like influencers that have larger audiences, you know, like guys, if you like email Pat Flynn today and just like, Hey, I want to come on your show today to tell you about X, Y, Z software or whatever else. Um, you know, someone like Pat's not going to have you on, right? This is like built through, um, through trust and friendships and recommendations and referrals and like kind of like everything else. So yeah, it just takes time to kind of, 
um, like work on building and nurturing relationships with different people in the industry. And, uh, and just kind of like over time, once people begin to realize like, okay, like Greg, um, you know, provides actionable content and shows up on time and is respectful. And, you know, I don't ever have to worry about him doing like shady things or anything else. That's when it just starts to become easier, but that just takes time and work. What's the toughest part about running a software business like you do? So the, the challenges over the years have very much changed. Now with the team approaching 100 people, it's a lot of uh, kind of like people problems and structuring problems and um, setting up the organization so that everyone understands what they're responsible for and what they're graded on. I'd say those are the types of struggles that I have the most today. That's probably not as uh, actionable for you know the audience listening to this right Still now. Still good so, to know, though. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, to, did you ever think it would get to this point? Oh, not a clue. Because th- this happened pretty fast too. I launched it Jungle Scout in January 2015, so it hasn't even been four years. Oh wow, yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, in in the earlier days, looking back, I th- looking back, I think my biggest battles were actually myself and more like an emotional side. And I know that kind of like sounds woo woo and whatever else, but I would just psych myself out so much. Like when a new competitor would come into the space or something, the site would go down for a few hours or whatever else. I don't know. I had like all these worries and I would stress out about these things so hard that it would like kill an entire day of productivity. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think I felt like I didn't have anyone to talk to that like really understood where I was at. And kind of like in the earlier days, I think looking back, those were the biggest struggles. I I don't think I could have identified that at the time, but now in hindsight, um, I have been able to. What's a typical workday like for you now as the founder and CEO of the company with a hundred team members? Like I'm curious to know what that's like. Yeah, so it's, it's changed a lot because up until January of this year, so um, three quarters of a year ago, you know, I was still a nomad. So my wife and I were like traveling around. We live in a different country um, for about a month and then move again. So those days were a little bit different. I was always working in co-working spaces. You know, like once a month we'd move to a new city. Uh, that got to be too challenging with the time zone issues. So mm-hmm. I in January of this year, I moved to Austin, Texas. We opened up an office here. So a normal day for me, I typically wake up uh, around six or seven. I try to work out most mornings. I'm usually into the office around eight or eight thirty, and then I I still work quite a bit just because I'm really passionate about it. You know, I I'm usually not home till six thirty or seven at night. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be that way, but like I said, I, I really do like enjoy it. So, on a, in a typical day, you know, I uh, I a little bit hate that it's this way, but I also fully understand that it has to be for me. It's a lot of meetings at this point. Mm -hmm. You know, we have an executive team now. Um, we put together a board. There's just a lot of like, kind of like collaboration that they need for me now as the CEO and kind of like being like the strategic thinker and getting people on the same page and communicating to the company, what we're working on and what the highest, um, problems are and all these different types of things. So to be completely honest, 
I'm still most passionate about actually creating things. So that's why like I really enjoy doing podcasts like this. And I really like you'll still see me on our YouTube channel and other places because I still love like creating things, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I still kind of wish I could like get in there and create landing pages and create other things because like that brings me a lot of joy. Uh, to be completely honest, it's not as enjoyable for me to be um, more so like in the meetings and everything else. But at the end of the day, the biggest thing that I'm creating is this company. So I'm willing to do kind of like whatever's the highest impact things for me to do to build and to create this company. Love it. What's it been like to switch from the sort of nomad lifestyle to now one where there is an office? Um, Has it been a tough transition for you and your wife or has it been something that's kind of just, you know, it's about time? I think it was a little bit harder for my wife. She, you know... I, she's happy in Austin, but she occasionally is like, man, I really miss nomading, man. Like <laughs> she kind of just like drops those every once in a while, you know, it's like, yeah, that was really fun. <laughs> but you could potentially just go on a vacation if you wanted to, right? Oh, totally. And we've, we've worked remotely like two months out of this year too. So it's not oh, like sweet. we're just like permanently in Austin. <laughs> um, so it, it's definitely been a change. I was a little burnt out of nomading. You know, we did it for three years. We lived, we each just had one carry on suitcase and we lived out of that for three years straight. Wow, that's incredible. Uh, a lot of flights. There's, there's a lot of just small hassles associated with it. When you tell people they're like, Oh, that's dumb. Like you were living in beautiful beaches and whatever else. Like I can't believe you'd be inconvenienced by that. But it was just little things like poor internet connection or just like a poor workspace. Um, you know, like I, at this point I needed to be like a very productive, um, kind of like high, just, uh, functioning at a very high level and just little things like the internet going out or the not having just like a nice desk with monitors or even just a room like I'm in right now to record podcasts. And those were just all the little inconveniences to me that like added up to being like, okay, like I'm ready to just kind of settle down mm-hmm. and be kind of nice to like get our own apartment instead of living in Airbnbs and just have like a nice place to work from. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate you spending time with us today. If you don't mind, I have just a couple more questions. I know you're a busy guy, but I appreciate you and everything you're sharing here. This is really inspiring. Yeah, let's do it. So some, some of the other questions I have are related to the future, right? And, and, and specifically like your relationship with Amazon. I know there's a lot of people listening right now who use different products, who would love to create tools that are associated with other tools that are out there and other platforms. But, you know, it's tough because... Uh, to use Jungle Scout as an example, it's like a lot of what you do is based on what Amazon does and what Amazon wants other people to do and doesn't want other people to do. How do you maintain a high level of product and service when there's that big giant Amazon on the the other end where, um, you know, they could change something up and and change the algorithm or, you know, all these other things that may affect um, your business? How do you maintain that level of just mostly security in, in, in your mind, just that like, okay, we're, we're going to be okay. We're just going to keep going. Yeah, this is a really good question actually. And I agree. There's a lot of like opportunities out there for, we'll call them like platform plays, like build something, whether it's like a Shopify plugin or, mm-hmm. you know, an Amazon tool or whatever else, right? These right. different things that you're reliant on this platform. And to answer your question, I don't think there's, there's no way to ever know for sure that like you're going to be hundred percent secure. Um, you know, we, we do meet with Amazon every once in a while and I'd say we have a pretty good relationship with them, but they very much so like their attitudes very much. So like, Hey, like we're the 800 pound gorilla one day, if we decide that we don't want tools like this, like we'll do it. (laughs) So it's like, okay, that's not good. But 
so this is this has actually been a little bit of a struggle with mine and probably always is, you know, because I'm like, man, you know, like we're growing really quickly. But what if Amazon doesn't do as well next year and not, not as many people are selling on it? You know, that's kind of like a concern of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like what if Amazon doesn't like us or whatever else? So I'd say some advice I have for the listeners is, first of all, wh- whenever you're th- thinking about or considering building a product like this, the most important thing I need to think you need to ask yourself is, is this beneficial to the platform that I'm building it on? Or is it kind of like a, um, a hacky type thing that if they found out about that, would be upset about. And I think that's a really important question because at the end of the day, you know, if you want to grow this into a large company, all these platforms are going to find out about your tools. You know, everyone at Amazon knows about jungle scout, but they like Jungle Scout because we're beneficial to their platform. We have a very much a symbiotic relationship in the fact that we're helping sellers spot like gaps in their catalog, you know, and they we know that they want the lowest prices and the best selection for their customers. Mm-hmm. So we're showing their sellers, hey, like there's not, you know, no one selling fidget spinners or whatever right now. Like you should consider selling this item. So that, you know, so that's very much beneficial to the Amazon platform. So, you know, if it's, uh, if you're on the other end and it's a, a product or service that is used to kind of like cheat Amazon or whatever else, ultimately they're not going to like that. And, you know, they have huge legal teams and other methods to use to like try to get rid of you if you really make them uh, upset enough. So I think, I think that's like a really important thing to always be thinking about if you're considering kind of like one of these platform plays, like, is it a symbiotic relationship that's helpful or, or would it be detrimental to their platform? Yeah, because I, I'm thinking of a lot of people, even people who've been on the show before, like Joseph Michael, who created a, a program to teach people how to use Scrivener, for example. Similar thing, not software, but also information based on a software and how to use that tool better. And there's a symbiotic relationship there, which is why that works. And, you know, Joseph knows the founders and they know him and it kind of, you know, they're all they're, they're each helping each other out. Um, but then you, you kind of got to worry sometimes because there's companies like eBay who want to keep everything for themselves and don't want even anybody to use their domain name or create any tools that that can help really um it can be very difficult in, in that space so um it's great to see that there's a great relationship there between jungle scout and amazon and that things are going well and obviously you guys have been around for a while and you're helping them out and they're they're helping you out and you know everybody's happy in, in the end which i think is what matters most yeah Cool, man. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, where should people go to check out, you know, obviously junglescout.com. Is there any place where people can learn more about you and what you got going on? The best place is really just the Jungle Scout blog. Um, right now we're in the middle of a pretty cool case study that's totally free. It's called the Million Dollar Case Study. We're publicly and transparently growing a physical products business to a million dollars in revenue. And we're actually, Pat, I know um, you're a big fan of Pencils of Promise as well, or I think an advisor. We're donating all the profits from that case study and the products we sell on Amazon to build schools in underprivileged countries around the world through Pencils of Promise. So it's pretty cool. We've uh, we've already donated enough money to build two schools. And there's going to be a lot more in the future. And I guess more importantly for you guys, it's just like really high um, ve- like very valuable content totally for free. There's no cost to it. So yeah, you could check that out if you're interested. Dude, I love that. I'm all about that. So junglescout.com, you can check out the blog there and the million dollar case study. I love things like that. And, you know, traditionally on the blog here, we've done very similar things. And so, um, dude, thank you so much. I appreciate you, Greg, and uh, good luck. And we'll talk, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Pat. Bye. Wow, what an amazing interview. And Greg, I know you listen to the show. Thank you so much 
for your time and your wisdom. And I know that people are inspired after listening to this. And we're also going to link to some of the other amazing software-related interviews we've done in the past in the show notes. And by the way, if you want to go to the show notes, all you have to do is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash session 345. Once again, smartpassiveincome.com slash session 345. Uh, junglescout.com is where you want to go. You can check out the blog there and check out their million-dollar case study, which is super cool, and I love that they're helping out with an an organization that I'm also an advisor for, which is Pencils of Promise, helping build schools around the world. And, you know, just on that note, big shout-out to everybody who has supported me in the past with the campaigns that I've run. Uh, We've also built a couple schools in Ghana, and uh, we've helped out around the world too, and I'm just very, very, very thankful to be a part of that organization, Pencils of Promise, And a big shout out to Susie Harrison there, who's the one who's keeping everything in check for a lot of the influencers out there that are helping to grow that organization. And more importantly, help kids around the world get educated. So uh, cool plug for Pencils of Promise there. But again, junglescap.com is where you want to go. And really quick, I wanted to talk to you about something that happens every month here. I offer a free training to help you get started with affiliate marketing. Affiliate marketing, for those of you who don't know, is generating an income by recommending other people or um, other companies' products. And what's really cool is your target audience is already buying a lot of these products. And if you can be the one to let them know about it, that company can offer you a little bit of a kickback as a thank you. And I provide this free training every single month. I teach you a number of things such as passive and active ways to create campaigns to sell more of other people's products, plus my secret weapon or affiliate marketing that most people don't do. Now, if this is of interest to you, all you have to do to sign up is go to smartpassiveincome.com slash A-M-M. That's A-M-M for Affiliate Marketing Masterclass. smartpassiveincome.com slash A-M-M. You register and sign up there and I'll see you on the call. And by the way, I'm running an experiment right now related to this ad that you just heard uh, for my workshop. If you heard this message, tweet at me to let me know you heard uh, this ad, ad number two. Thanks. Hey, guess what? I'm, I'm really excited to uh, let you know that SPI Burr Monday, like Cyber Monday, but SPI Burr Monday, Monday, November 26th is coming. We're running a massive sale for products that we've never done before, partly because we haven't had products to sell before. You know, as many of you know, if you've been following my journey, I haven't had online courses till very recently, but that plus an announcement for a brand new course is coming out. Monday, November 26th for SPI Burr Monday. Look out for that sale. This is what I'm calling the no excuses sale to get you moving and it's just gonna give you exactly what you need to get started with whatever it is your next big thing is, whether it's podcasting, affiliate marketing, and again, look out for the announcement of the brand new course there. So that's gonna happen uh, on Monday, November 26th and it's only for 48 hours. It's gonna expire on Tuesday the 27th after that's over. So check it out. Look out for it. You'll hear more about it later, but thank you so much. SPI Burr Monday, coming your way. And by the way, if you uh, heard this message, I'm running an experiment. Tweet at me, let me know you heard ad number three. At Pat Flynn, let me know you heard ad number three. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening in. Show notes are available at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 345. And guys, just keep, keep going, keep crushing it. You guys are amazing. Hit subscribe if you haven't already, and I'll see you in the next episode. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com.